If you have your Bibles today, or your iPad, or your device, we are not out of the book of Acts yet. We've been looking for several weeks at the book of Acts, and we will continue that this morning as we head toward chapter 12. We've looked at how the New Testament church was functioning in its infancy and how the gospel was spreading like wildfire. We've seen certain people who came to the forefront, like Stephen. We've talked about Stephen. We've talked about Philip, how they were featured in, in certain chapters. We certainly have talked about the dramatic conversion of Saul of Tarsus, who was to become the apostle, the apostle Paul. Are you with me this morning? Good. But I think most pronounced to us in what we've looked at in the book of Acts has been the way the church functioned together, the way the church lived, the way the church behaved, and that we've discovered that it was on a much different level of commitment than what we see today. And particularly, we've noticed how the church prayed. Amen? And how fervent they were in prayer. You know, we certainly know this, that the, that the um, New Testament church is the model for us. I know there's all kinds of things that have caused us to drift in our culture, and we understand that, but the truth is our guide is the Word of God. Amen? Can you say amen to that? We are committed to understanding that though trends come and trends go, I've lived long enough, as have some of you, to see lots of different trends and things happen within the church, different movements that have arisen, some that would rise and then fall and go the other way. And while sometimes we can be quick to even disparage some of those, because, well, that was just, this blew up and that blew up and then that kind of went away, the truth is it could be that God was causing us to have a focus for a particular season of time, whether it's the faith movement or if it's, uh, some of you will remember the shepherding movement that took place. And it could be that, uh, there, were there, have there been extremes? Have there been excesses? Yes, there have been in all of that. But it's also possible to look at it this way, that God was wanting the church to be reminded of the importance of living by faith with the faith movement. It could be that God was causing us to want to remember the importance of being accountable with the shepherding movement. So there's all kinds of trends and different spotlights that have come. But we must always remember, church, that regardless of the things that tend to come and go in the church, and you're always hearing about this new thing and that new thing, our model is the Word of God and the New Testament church and how they function, how they behaved, what they did, and particularly our focus is on how they prayed. They were fervent in their prayer. I certainly saw this. My son and I saw this as we were in, um, in Tanzania this past week. Sometimes, some of them call it Tanzania. Um, depends on where you put the accent, I guess. And I'll be honest with you, when I was there, I wasn't exactly sure why we were called to go. I know that the intent was for us to speak at a pastor's conference, a, a district council that they held in a remote area called Babati. And uh, we, were, it was a, we flew into Kilimanjaro, and we were uh, hosted then in a, a city called Arusha, but for one night, and then the next morning they said, you have a four-and-a-half-hour drive to Babati. Let me just say this. Have you driven on McLean Street before? <laughs> Raise your hand if you have driven on McLean Street. It's this street right here. Okay, take that times about four and put a few boulders in the road along the way. And that's what we did for four-and-a-half hours, okay? 
I was good for the first 30 minutes, and then I was ready to be done with it, but it was four and a half hours. But nonetheless, that's how we got to Babati. <clears throat> but my discovery when we got there, regardless of why we thought we went, that I, 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 after I got there, I thought, Lord, are, are we here to share with this, these people something, or are we here to learn what these people are doing? Because my discovery was this, church, in many ways, the African church is light years ahead of the American church, in many ways. Sad to say, but it's true. I think they are light years ahead of us in mission. I think they are light years ahead of us in strategy. They have a strategy for the church there in Tanzania. And just to help you understand a little bit, Tanzania is about the size of Texas and Oklahoma put together. They have a strategy for the country that, that everyone who's involved in leadership in the church there knows what it is. 10,000 churches, 10,000 pastors, 2 million souls. And they are locked into that like laser beams. It's unbelievable how clear their strategy is. They're not just floating from day to day. They know exactly what their intention is. They're extremely intentional about what they're doing. Their strategy is extremely clear. And I will tell you this, if I'm honest with you, church, they're ahead of us when it comes to prayer. They are ahead of us when it comes to prayer. There is a fervency in prayer that is so remarkable, the likes of which it is very difficult to see in any circumstance that we have back here. Now, I'm not going to sit here and trash the USA and talk just about Africa, but I have to tell you, it was so refreshing to be about around people who are ready to, it's like, I've got to pray or die. Those are only two choices. There was a fervency, there was a fire there that was absolutely unbelievable. I was told by our missionary host what to expect as we were uh, driven to this pastor's conference. And yes, there were some, surprise, some surprises along the way, which I'll, I'll tell you about. But he said, I need to let you know, Dan, that when you're leading the service, the time of prayer will be, will be intense. And if you reach the point of you want to move on in the service, you'll have to stop them. They're not going to stop on their own. The thing's not just going to like, you know, be intense for about 30 seconds and then die. No, die down. No, it's not going to be that. They're going to keep praying until you stop them. And that's exactly what it turned out to be. I, I, I found it delightful. I found it refreshing and incredibly inspiring. But, you know, I understood that I'm at a, I'm at a conference of pastors, so maybe this is what I should expect from, from pastors. And uh, I wonder what it's going to be like if, if we're allowed to see, you know, one of the churches. Well, as it turned out to be, uh, to be one of the surprises along the way, after we had preached 12 times in three days, that's 12 times in three days, I was expecting a little more sympathy. I didn't get, <laughs> didn't get much. I got tired of my own preaching. It was so bad. I mean, I thought, really? You want me to preach again? And sometimes session number three, would, it didn't really come to an end. It just moved right on into session number four. You know what I'm talking about, Stephen. You've been in situations like that. And you went on and on and on. Well, right at the end of that, they said, oh, by the way, um, they said, you'll be speaking at a church, one of our local churches on Sunday. I thought, well, that will be delightful. It was going to go back into the city of Arusha and a church called Calvary Temple, wonderful church, pastored by a senior man by the name of Wilson Camaro, wonderful, wonderful man. His wife, Mama Camaro, Everybody, all the wives are Mama somebody. And so she was, she was a bright light and just absolutely incredible. Their son, Philip, is about to take over the church. They're somewhere in transition of that process. It was an incredible, incredible church. But they said, Dan, you'll be preaching at Calvary Temple in Arusha on Sunday morning. I said, great. Oh, by the way, they have three services on Sunday morning. 
Oh, oh, and one more thing. The first service is at 6 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) How many of you are ready for a 6 o'clock service at Bethesda on Sunday morning? Right. We'll see if you're here at 6 o'clock. We'll see if that happens. But I got to tell you, now as it turned out, honestly, not because I wasn't willing or didn't want to, but I did not do the 6 o'clock service, something else they made arrangements for, and I did the last two services. But in the local church, I found the same thing. It was no different than with the pastors. People that were absolutely had come to the house of God to worship like their lives depended upon it. People who were ready to pray and call upon God that, in a way that, as if their lives depended upon it. It was so electrifying. It was unbelievable. I actually took some footage on my iPad, and if I can get it worked out sometime down the road, I'll, I'll share some of that. It was, it was incredible. But I got to tell you, church, I have to say this, and I know I sound like someone who's come back from a mission trip because I have, and I know it's, it's easy to come back from another country and, 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 and really full of fire and passion about what's taking place in other areas. First of all, I've got to say this. One of the thoughts that hit me, a couple of thoughts, one of them was, was this, when you get in that environment, and it's so unique, it's as if you connect with the kingdom of God in such a unique way, and, and your sense of purpose and your sense of fulfillment and why God even designed you and gave you reason for being comes to such a full measure when you're in an environment like that. I stand there and had the thought, why aren't all of us involved in missions all the time? What's holding us back? Well, I'm afraid I wouldn't do well with the food or whatever. I didn't do well with cow intestines either, okay? It's not fun. Couldn't eat the beef. I lived on French fries for three days, okay? I couldn't eat the beef. I wasn't good with the fish. They bring the whole fish, and the first thing they want you to do, but never mind, I'm not going to tell you. I'll make you sick. I better stop there. And the chicken was not real recognizable, if I'm honest with you, you know? Kind of like eating a piece of leather, something like that. So I wasn't good with the food, but you know what? I made it. I survived just fine. I could stand to go without a few meals, huh? How many of you could stand? No, never mind. I won't ask that. I'll get me in trouble. But the thought occurred to me, what is it that, that would hold anybody back from going on a missions trip? We have such wonderful opportunities at Bethesda through what happens with Light of Life International. My goodness gracious, we all ought to, all of us who call ourselves believers and want to have a dynamic connection to the kingdom of God, something happens in that environment when you choose to leave your locale and where you are and the bubble that you live in, the bubble that I live, when we choose to leave that and we take the gospel to another place. God does something in you. You put yourself in a place to allow God to do something in you that otherwise will not happen. Can I get an amen over here? Over here. There we go. Counting on that. So my first thought was, why aren't we all involved in missions even more? We need to be. As we come to, uh, toward the end of October, I don't recall the date, it will be a missions emphasis time for all of us in this church, and we need to be praying what God is, is saying to us. The other thought I had, standing there in that environment, sometimes I have to wonder, why do we, as the American church, looks so much like our culture and so little like Jesus. I know some of this is not going to be easy to take this morning. I get that. And you're not going to be happy with me by the time you walk out today. But I had to ask myself, why do we look so much like our culture and so little like Jesus? 
Where is our fervency in prayer, church? Where is our fervency in worship? Where is our fervency in that passion for winning the lost? Where is it? Why have we allowed the enemy to lull us to sleep with our culture? We're more concerned about sports. We're more con- and I'm fine with sports. I'm fine with all the good things we have here. But when it's time to pray, church, it's time to pray. And it takes precedent over all the other things that are our conveniences and the things that we've become so accustomed to with our culture. And all I can say without taking it further, and boy could I, God... Call the American church back to the things that are important. Keeping the main thing the main thing. Keep us focused on prayer. Keep us focused on worship. Keep us focused on winning the loss. And let all of the other things, even the things that sweep us into our culture, let them become diminished so that we see you and only you in the name of Jesus. And that's what I pray for us. That's fine. And here's what I believe about you. I believe you want that. If I'm naive, let me sleep on in it, okay? I believe the American church wants it. We just need to have the ability to be reminded and we need to move back into it. We need to ask God to awaken us. Ask God to give us a hunger and a thirst for him and him alone. That we reach a place of absolute desperation for God. I was sharing some of this and some of what I've experienced with a couple of the staff members this week in one of the offices, and I might have become a little animated in my expression, just a little bit, and uh, was excited about all the possibilities, and then one of the staff members, I'll, who will remain nameless at the moment, followed me on into my office, because I had asked that for whatever reason, he had reason to follow me in my office, and, and as we got into my office to carry on some other business, I could hear him let out a big sigh. <sighs> I said, what's wrong with you? He said, oh, you're inspired. (laughs) Yeah, what's wrong with that? Because when you get inspired, the rest of us are going down, he said. (laughs) I don't know if that's true. Maybe, but uh, we'll see. All right, we're going to look at Acts chapter 12 this morning as we continue our snapshots as we sort of walk through the book and stop every once in a while to see what's there for us. We understand that as the church began to grow, it experienced great persecution. The Jewish establishment was threatened by this new religion that was sweeping the country, sweeping the area. They were not accepting Jesus as the Messiah, as the promised one, and so so persecution came. They were threatened by the, the Jewish establishment was threatened by what was taking place with Christians or the people of the way. And so they began to persecute them. And we certainly know that Saul of Tarsus did everything he could before his experience on the Damascus Road. He did everything he could to stomp out the church. But we know this, that even with all the persecution that the church endured, all the hardships, all the the tough times they went through, the only thing that happened is the church grew and it proliferated everywhere. Easy for me to say, huh? And you know what, church? There's a truth here that we must not miss in the process of understanding the book of Acts. It should always remain somewhere within the resources of our heart and never be very far away from us in this as we understand our spiritual walk and our journey in God. And it's a truth not only for the church at large, but it's a truth that we need to apply as individual believers as well, and it's this, 
that it's in times of great persecution, in times of great difficulty, in times of great conflict that we grow. I knew that would bring a big loud amen. It's in the place that you don't want to be today. It's in the place that you are most trying to avoid. That God, it appears God is possibly leading you. You wouldn't choose it. You wouldn't ask for it. You would do everything you possibly could to avoid it. But it's the place where God's going to do his deepest work in you. That is a principle that has been true since the beginning of time. And so we have to make a decision. I may be facing persecution, difficulty, hard times, situations that I don't want. But that is the place God is going to bring something forward in you that he couldn't do in any other way. And so the mature believer understands that and says, I will accept that and I will submit and surrender to the will of God because he's sovereign and he knows what he's doing. I may not like it. It may look like it's going to bring me down. But if it glorifies the Lord, then I'm going to vote yes. I'm going to do it in Jesus' name. So as we approach chapter 12, we're seeing the newly formed infant church that's dealing with persecution. Let's go there. Chapter 12, uh, we'll, we'll read probably verses 1 through 10. About that time, King Herod Agrippa, we know there were several Herods in Scripture, at least five and a couple of other standbys there. The Herod family was not, not good folks, and this is a grandson here to Herod the Great. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had, he had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter, and all this took place during the time of the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guards of four squads and four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. Now, give me, give me just a second there, because I, I looked a little deeper into this what that was actually saying, because the truth is just saying that they prayed very earnestly is, doesn't really give us the true picture of what the original Greek gives us when you dig into it at all. What the original Greek really says this, the context was this, not that they were just praying earnestly, it went this far. They shut everything down and declared a state of emergency. Everything came to a grinding halt. That's what, when it says prayed earnestly, this is what it means here. They shut everything down, all other activity, everything that was taking place, and basically declared a state of emergency, and a steady stream of a, a prayer was ascending before the throne of God. That's what praying earnestly was like for the New Testament church. Now, why did they do this? They did it because it looked like they were going to lose Peter. I mean, the picture was not good for him. He's, he's in chains. They have no money to get him out. They have no resources to help him, and it's, they're feeling incredibly helpless and incredibly hopeless. But when you're feeling incredibly helpless and hopeless, that's the time to call a state of emergency and send constant prayers before the throne of God. Amen. Let's read on. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up! And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, 
get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he, he thought it was, it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. You know, when you're awakened in the middle of the night, I can understand him feeling that way. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city, and it opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, I call that a miracle. I have a, a Bible commentator that is, honestly has been my favorite for all of my adult life. I've studied this, this, his commentaries since I was a teenager. Those of you who are close to me know exactly who I'm talking about. But we have to remember that when we're studying commentaries, it's not the infallible Word of God. It's a different thing. There's good information. There's good resource. There's you know, good helps there good uh, insight into p passages that otherwise we might not have, but it's, it's, it's not infallible. And so this particular commentator, though I really enjoy his writings, when I read his writing, I get it, it nourishes me, it strengthens me, but so, it so happens he tends to really downplay the supernatural. And so I just understand when I'm reading this particular writer of his commentary, I put that filter on and understand that for whatever reason, he downplays the supernatural. It's been apparent to me the last oh, couple of sermons, for example, when the day we were preaching on, um, on Saul's conversion and what happened to him on the road to Damascus and you know, the light shone from heaven and so on and so forth. Well, he explained that away, that in that time of the year, that part of the country, it was probably lightning, it was probably, you know, he explained it away, and no, no, it's okay. But we got to this, and I was reading this, and I was digging into what this commentary was saying about this particular passage, and he was, at the end of, re of uh, going through all of this, he simply says, now, I don't think we need to necessarily think this was a miracle. And I thought, wait a minute. If I'm sitting in prison and I've got a chain on this hand, chained to one guard, and sitting in, on this side is a chain here to another guard, and I'm just sitting there, and in the middle of the night, a light shines in the prison. Don't tell me that's just lightning. A light shines in the prison, an angel appears, and suddenly the chains fall off, and I walk, I'm able to walk with the angel past the first sentry, the guardman at the door, past him into the second door, and I get outside to the iron gate, and it opens all by itself. I don't know about you, I call that a miracle. And I believe God still is in the miracle business. How about you? Now, I'm going to get into the heart of the passage in, in just a second, and we're going to go to the table of the Lord uh, at the end of the service. But before I get into the heart of it, what I want to share with you. There is a verse here that has caught my attention that I can't ignore. Now, I've got to be honest with you. Every sermon I've heard on, on, um, on Peter's being released from prison on, and reading this chapter 12 of the book of Acts, it's always about what happens to Peter. It's always about how amazing this story is and the miraculous things that I, I just rehearsed for you again. And it truly is a, a wonderful story. It's the dynamic focus of, of the chapter. It's so wonderful that hymns have been written about it. 
Let me connect this dot for you in case you have it. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be? That all comes from this Acts chapter 12. So it, it, it's truly an amazing story. But there's something here in verse 2 that, that I'm going to ask you to look at with me because we can't ignore it. Because as wonderful as this story turns out for Peter, it's not so good for James, the brother of John. It says in verse 2 that Herod had him killed with a sword. Now we, we can rejoice in what we know is going to happen to Peter, but look what happened to James. Had him killed with a sword. And here's a hard truth that we have to look at. And I'm talking to, I know, a group of mature believers. There's times we have to face facts squarely in the eye, church. We have to look at things really for what they are. I would love to stand here and give you just all the happy stuff and how money's going to rain down on you and, and every, you're going to get a, a promotion and all of those good things that can happen. I believe God wants to bless us. I believe all of that. But there's also sometimes some hard truths that are also part of this book that we have to acknowledge. And my commitment is not just to make you happy with what I say. My commitment is to be sure I've been honest about the truth of the word. And it's this. Sometimes... God does not get his people out of trouble. And that shouldn't come as a shock or a surprise to you. You've lived enough life to see it. We don't like to talk about it. It's kind of one of the unspeakables for us. But sometimes God does not get his people out of trouble. Sometimes his purpose is fulfilled in a different way. And we're forced to face that fact that it's even possible sometimes his purpose is fulfilled in martyrdom rather than safety and protection. I know that's not what you want to hear, and this may divide the men from the boys in terms of your Christianity today. But the mature believer will accept the fact that God is sovereign and God knows what he's doing. And you will be able to understand why we sing, whatever my lot, thou has caused me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And something else that we've sung for years is this. His grace is sufficient for me. And it's another way of saying these three words, and it's the title of my message today. God is enough. Say it with me, church. God. One more time. Tickling your ears would be a lot more fun for me today. And I can't promise you all the things that you would like me to promise you about getting you out of the problems that you walked in this room with today. I can't do that. Or tell you that only good will happen to you. That you will leave happy always from, from here. But the truth is sometimes God glorifies himself in and through us in other ways. The writer Mark Batterson in his book Circle of Prayer says, if we're being completely honest, most of our prayers have as their chief, of, chief objective our own personal comfort rather than God's glory. But who's going to sound the alarm? Who's going to call us to the place that says, it's not just about our personal comfort. It's not just about me. It's about him and his purposes. The beauty of the gospel of Jesus is not that in trusting Christ, everything goes like you want it to go. The beauty of the gospel of Jesus is that we get God regardless of the circumstances and that he will be enough in everything that you face. He will be enough. He will be enough. Some of us are here today trying to 
I'm looking at this and trying to say it in a softer way. Some of us are here today trying to use God to get something that we want. But when you approach God, what you get is God, and He's more than enough for you. You may think or have a preconceived idea about what God is going to be for you or do for you. You may have a romantic illusion about what He's going to be or do for you. You may have design in your mind how it's going to go. And that's what you're asking. And I'm not saying you can't ask God for that. But the truth is, God is able to accomplish more than we could ever dream or imagine. Can he restore our marriages? Yes. Can he lead you out of financial ruin? Yes. Can he heal all of your diseases? Yes. But is that why we go to him? If that's why we go to him, then what we want is not him but rather him to do those things. And there is a word for that, and the word is idolatry. Church, it's time to seek the Lord for who he is. It's time to seek the Lord for who he is. It's time to grow up and recognize that good things are wonderful and and blessings are great, and he still wants to do that. I'm not minimizing that at all. But we need to be sure that above all of the things that we're asking for, that we want him above all things. And the church said, well, after you're bringing you down with that, I want to talk about what God can do. When our lives are truly yielded to him and when we want him above everything else. So here's Peter in prison. Bound by chains on one side to one soldier, another chain to the other soldier. Two doors each with a guard or a sentry uh, standing there and an iron gate to keep him closed and all that to keep him from escaping his incarceration. But the church is praying fervently. That's all they can do, nothing else. You know, some people would say, well, you know, sometimes, Dan, you just got to accept your circumstances. Sometimes that's just the way life rolls and we just got to, you know, that's the way it's going to be. But then there are those times when God puts faith in your heart. You know what I'm talking about, church? There's a fire that's within you that says, no, 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 God's wanting to do something here. He's wanting to do something here. He puts that in you and you've got to obey it. And you've got to pray for that person who seems so locked up and helpless and hopeless. And now a steady stream of prayer is going up. I just wonder, what would happen to the church if just for one week or one period of time, whatever it is, everything's shut down. All of the activities, they're important, they're good. Everything shut down and a state of emergency was declared and every one of you, balcony, lower floor, musicians, choir people, staff members, every one of us said, we are going to seek God so fervently and we're not gonna stop until God breaks through. What do you think would happen to a church like that? I've discussed that with pastors. I said, Dan, I couldn't do that. I couldn't call a prayer meeting. People wouldn't show up. People don't want to pray. They want to come and be entertained in church. That's what they want, and let them have a good time and walk out. But if you call a prayer meeting, do you think they'll come? But what would happen if we made such a determination to live like the model that we have in the Word of God, the New Testament church, 
that if the day came and the need arose that we declared a state of emergency and we shut everything else down and we said with everything we have within us, we're going to go for God and we're not going to stop bombarding heaven until God answers. What do you think God would do? You think he would hear? Of course he would. Boy, I've lost some of you today, haven't I? Because the scripture says, let us then come boldly before the throne of grace. So look what happens. They're praying. I'm going to be done in just a minute. The details are given to us here because it shows us the power of God in response to prayer. There's four things and I'm done that happen in this story. Number one, the chains fell off. As they prayed, God answered by breaking chains. And do you know God is still breaking chains? I said, do you know God is still breaking chains? You may know of someone who is bound in the chains of depression or someone who's bound in the chains of addiction of some kind or whatever, it's holding them down. But I want to remind you this morning, God breaks chains. He can do what no doctor can do. He can do what no therapist or counselor can do, and I'm all for the wonderful counseling and the things that are available to us today. We have some fabulous counselors and therapists in this room this morning. God bless you for the help that you give us. I'm all for that, but any of them worth their salt would be quick to say, but I can't do what God can do. God breaks chains. You may think this is so elementary and simple, and it is, but it's extremely powerful. I can't explain how it works. I don't know how God breaks chains. I can't give you the formula. I don't know that any more than I know how electricity works. I don't understand that, but I know I walk in a room and flip on the switch, and the light comes on. I understand that's how it works. God can break any chain that any demon or anything else has tried to put upon you. God can break chains. Number two, God can overcome the people who are holding you back. Did you notice in the reading of the passage that when the chains fell off and the angel told him to get up and go, that no one caused him any resistance? There's nothing in there that says they tried to hold him back. He was released from the chains of the two guards on either side. And he went dancing past the first door with a guard and past another one. No one tried to stop him. That's because the church was praying. The church was praying. I've had parents come to me time after time, and some of you are facing this situation this morning, and say, oh, Pastor Dan, my son or my daughter, they're caught up in this relationship, and they're in the grip and the power of this other person. I wish they would have never met them. I don't know how they got involved with that person, but they're, just, they're literally in, in their grip, and they're holding them back, and I, I can't stand this relationship they're involved in, and they're holding them back. Who cares? God can overcome any human element. Whatever it is you think that person is bound by, the church that prays fervently and decides they're going to go after God with everything within them, God can accomplish these things. Look what we're getting from the Word of God today. He breaks change, and God can overcome the person who's holding them back. God can overcome the person who's holding you back. You think God's so small he can't overcome any human element? Of course he can. That's the God that we serve. That's how great he is. Two more things, and I'm done. Notice that the angel woke Peter up smacked him on the side and said, hey, wake up. And that is a beautiful picture of something that's happened over the centuries. When you pray for people and you're praying in faith, God can wake them up. Yes, he can wake them up from physical sleep, but I'm talking about spiritual sleep. 
I bet as I talk here for the next 30 seconds, it won't take you too long to think of someone in your mind that you know that's spiritually asleep. Maybe your spouse, maybe one of your children, maybe your parents. You may even know someone who used to attend this church, and you know that today they're asleep. The truth is, Shayla and I landed back in the country uh, on Tuesday evening. We, our first touchdown was in Atlanta and then came to Dallas. And before I even left Atlanta, I was caught up in a whirlwind of church situations and things that had to be dealt with and, and had to come back and hit the ground running. And one of the situations, I talked to a, a person in my office and was dealing with a, a family crisis situation. And I said, so tell me, how did you, how did you come to know the Lord? What's, tell me something about your spiritual journey. And they told me... I said, well, how did, you, how did you find Bethesda along the way? Oh, well, so-and-so brought me. I thought, oh, yeah. I've almost forgot about them. I haven't heard of them in a long time. Where are they today? Did they move away? No. Where are they? Well, Dan, they're, they're just kind of, they're not anywhere. They're asleep. They've gone to sleep. Somehow, they have allowed the enemy to lull them to sleep. But I'm going to tell you this, God can wake sleeping people. If the church will pray, I said, God can wake sleeping people. You may have given up on them, but God hasn't. You may have decided that's the way it's going to be, but God hasn't. And some of you need to have the fan the flame within you today to intensify your prayer that God will wake up that person that you are living with or dealing with that is spiritually asleep, and God can do it. And I believe that. Does anybody else in the room believe that today? So God can wake people up, He breaks chains. He overcomes the human element. He wakes up people who are sleeping. And one last thing, and this may be for somebody here today, I hope that it is, I pray that it is, that is this, God can open doors. Open doors for ministry, for job, for finances, whatever. It's such a beautiful picture. Peter had the chains fall off, walk past the first guard, past the second, the angel, he and the angel come to the gate, and the Bible says the gate opened all by itself. There's no mention of getting a crowbar. There's no mention of getting any kind of a tool to try to pry it open. If you're like me, you know how many doors I've tried to pry open over the years? Is that true for anybody else? Tried to make things happen? Tried to force something that was not meant to be? Got that crowbar out and, you know, try, I'm trying to get through this gate. This thing is blocking me. It's not. No, 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 no. Let me tell you. When I was in my younger years, very, very, very young, I'd had a little bit of success in school in acting, and I thought I wanted to be an actor someday. Imagine that. I thought that would be something I could enjoy doing. I was very, very young. And I went and tried to shove doors open. It was so crazy. It was, as I look at it now, it was one of the stupidest things I ever did. But I thought that's what was going to happen. I remember trying so hard to push doors open. And they weren't going to budge. It was not for me. The plan God had for me was music. And I can't explain that. It's not because of education or training. Most of you know I don't have a, a lick of music education whatsoever. I'm not proud of that. I don't advise that for anybody else. It's not the path I recommend for anybody. It's the way God dealt with me personally. But let me tell you what happened. After I moved to Fort Worth, Texas... God just began to open a door, and the first one was at a little studio on Inwood Road in Dallas called Rainbow Studio. God just opened the door. I didn't ask for it. I didn't get a crowbar. I didn't do anything. I got a phone call. 
Would you come and, sure, I'll come. I played. Well, next, would you come, would you write strings? Well, I don't know how, but that's never stopped me before. Okay. There's quite a story there sometime, I'll tell you. God just opened the doors, and then a little studio in, in the basement of Seminary South Mall in South Fort Worth called Sierra Recording. That door just opened. It just opened. Now, was it because of talent? No. You think it was because of talent? Do you know how many talented people there are out there? I work with world-class talent in recording studios today, and I'm not even worthy to be in the same room with them. It wasn't because of talent. It was because God was just opening doors. And I want to remind you of this. If you're someone in that place looking for God to open the door, when God opens the door, no man can shut it. That's the way it works. Uh, did I work hard? Absolutely. Do I know what sleepless nights are? Yep, sure do. Working all night, did all that crazy stuff. But it was God who opened the doors of opportunity. And I don't know who you are here today. I just trust the Holy Spirit that dwells within me that wanted me to say this to you and give you this incredibly simple message that God wants to open a door for you today. But it's only going to happen as you seek him and as you are going to be absolutely resolved in your heart that he will be enough. So God can break any chain. It doesn't matter what it is. God can overcome any human element. I don't care who you say is standing in the way or how strong you think they are. God can overcome any human element. God wakes up sleeping people. He can bring them out of spiritual stupor. And lastly, he can open doors without you even struggling. You don't have to fight it. You don't have to force it. God can cause that to happen. Some of us here need doors to be opened for us, and I understand that. I want you to bow your heads in prayer with me just for a moment before we go to the table of the Lord. If any of those things I have just mentioned from this chapter are true for you, I'm going to ask you in just a moment, I'll, I'll tell you when, I'm going to ask you to stand. But I'm the, there's a focus of prayer here this morning, and it's this. It's for someone who recognizes that they have chains upon them. You may be bound in some addiction. It may be depression. It may be whatever it is. All the possibilities are there. I don't, at this moment, it doesn't matter to me what it is. It just matters to me that you recognize that you are bound in chains. When I ask in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand with the others. It may be someone who says, I need God to overcome the human element, either in my life, the, the, the life of someone that I love, family member. I need God to overcome the human element that seems to be holding them back, holding me back, holding my loved one back. If that's going to be you, you're going to be part of this invitation for prayer. Number three, God wants to wake up sleeping people. And again, it may be you, it may be a spouse or a loved one, but there's someone in your life, whether it's you or someone else, that you recognize they are asleep. I want to look at them and say, what are you doing? They're asleep. And you want God to wake them up. Spiritually wake them up. You're going to be part of this invitation. And lastly, if you have come to the house of the Lord today and you are asking God to open a door for you, you're going to be part of this invitation. 
If that applies to anyone in this room, any of those four things, and you want prayer, I want you to stand to your feet right now. Any of those situations. Blessed be the Lord. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We recognize, first of all, that you are enough. It doesn't matter what the need is that we present before you today. You are enough. But we come grateful today because we recognize that you are still able to break chains. And for those that are standing that are needing chains to be broken off of them, in the name of Jesus, I ask for your mighty power to do it, Lord. By the power of the Holy Spirit, would you break chains today? For those who are battling some human element that's holding them back or someone they love, we recognize this today. You are stronger. You are greater than any demon, any person who tries to stand in the way of your purposes. So we're asking you, God. We're fervently praying before the throne of grace today. Would you, would you hold them back, Lord Jesus? Would you overcome those who are holding them back? by the power of your word. Lord, for those who are spiritually asleep today, give them that nudge in whatever way you choose that glorifies your name. Would you wake them up from their spiritual sleep? Let something happen that causes them to recognize they must become alive and awake in you, in Jesus' name. For those, Lord, who are looking for doors, open doors, it's an open door of opportunity, whatever it is. Let us remember that it is always too soon to give up. It is always too soon to give up. And so I pray that you will open doors. Let it just open by itself. And then we will be faithful to walk through and recognize this is the Lord. This is what you have for us, and we're going to walk in that. So we recognize that in Jesus' name. Now, Lord Jesus, as a church, give us fervency. Give us fire, Lord God, in our time of prayer. Renew a passion within us like we've never had before to seek you with everything that's within us because you're all that matters, Lord. Let everything else fall to the wayside. So become the focus of our attention and so capture the full measure of our gaze that we see nothing but Jesus not just on Sunday morning in the worship time, but on Monday morning and on, on the job, as we go through the work week, let it happen in Jesus' mighty name. In the church said amen.